0: Hi, my friends, and welcome to From Here to There. In this podcast, I'm going to be sharing about the lives of many people throughout history and people alive today that God has worked through in order to bring increase and influence of His kingdom here on earth. But in this first series, I'm really looking forward to sharing with you my story, how God was able to take me from powerless to powerful and from the nest to the nation's I really believe that as you listen, God is going to give you keys to moving forward toward your God destiny. So let's get started with this week's message. One of my life scriptures is Hebrews 11, 1 in the Jordan translation. And it reads like this, Now faith is the turning of dreams into deeds. It is betting your life on unseen realities. Everything God is able to do through us, his people here on earth, is done by faith. And faith is the process of a dream becoming a reality or a word becoming flesh. When faith is full grown, it requires action. This week, I'm going to share about when we first made the commitment to go to Nepal and start the Bible school. This is the point of no return. So last week, I shared how my someday became a suddenly on my first trip to Nepal in 2008. You know, God has a lifelong plan for each one of us, and His will, His desire, is that we go from glory to glory and from faith to faith. So whether you're pioneering in a new nation like I was in 2010, or pioneering a new business or a new idea or a plan for your family, the process is the same. God gives us a vision or a dream seed, and as we pray, he shows us steps to take, and as we take those steps, we move forward. When I left for Manila in 1998, I never would have dreamed that I would go by myself to an unreached nation and pioneer a Bible school, and truly I never would have been able to do that had I not taken that first step, and the next, and the next, and the next. God has a plan for our lives. I've shared about the consecration that's required to obey that plan and to obey his will. And while we know we can believe that his will is good for us and the best for us, still it takes a decision to lay down our own plans, our own dreams, and our own ideas and take up his. And it's usually not easy. And then we're working with people. We've talked about culture and differences in personalities and the way they can chastise us. People will grate on our nerves and even betray us. And sometimes things happen that we have no control over. So there are many obstacles to the lifelong plan of God for our lives. Isaiah 40, verse 3 through 5, and I'm going to read from the Amplified. I love Isaiah. It's so cutting edge. It's so relevant. Every time I read Isaiah, it's like it's for me today. And I pray that you receive this as for you. A voice of one who cries, Prepare in the wilderness the way of the Lord. Clear away the obstacles. Make straight and smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted and filled up, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked and uneven shall be made straight and level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory, majesty, and splendor of the Lord shall be revealed... And all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So God wants to remove those obstacles. God wants to prepare a highway for his plan. And he will fill the valleys and bring the mountains down. But these things happen in partnership with us as we hear, receive, believe, and act upon his word and his plan and purpose. And we're not alone. God gives us divine relationships, people to stand with us, people to teach us. And of course, we have the ever-present indwelling mighty help of the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us along the way. So I shared in my last podcast how I took another trip to Nepal eight months later and went around and visited with pastors and talked to them about their needs and listened to them and looked at different locations talked about finances, and then we went back again, I want to say about another seven months after that in November, and I brought a team with me, my American helper and some Filipinos. We did some ministry there, and it was upon that trip that we happened to meet a pastor in Kathmandu Valley who had a campus and said he wanted to partner with us to start the Bible school. So that was November, and we made a plan to begin the school in August. Now, you have to realize that this was in 2009, 2010. There wasn't much internet in Nepal, and communication with this pastor was difficult after we left November of 2009. And so I'm so thankful that he was trustworthy because there wasn't a lot of communication between us in the interim. But when we made this decision, we had come to the point of making a commitment. And commitments are scary. You know, by the words of your mouth, you're justified. And by the words of your mouth, you are condemned. So many people had been praying with us and asking me what was happening in Nepal and how it was going. And the point of no return means that once I made the announcement out of my mouth, it was fixed. It was out. And I wouldn't be able to go back on it or change my mind or back down. And so that was the scary part of the commitment. But when we get to this point with a dream or a vision, it's because what is on the inside has become more real than what we see on the outside. This is when faith becomes sight. I want to read from Romans 4 in verses 16 through 21. And Paul here is referring to Abraham, the father of our faith. In verse 17, he says, As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Okay, stop there. We know about Abraham, that God had given him a promise that he would be the father of many nations when he had not even one son and God even changed his name and told him, go around and introduce yourself as the father of many nations. When Abraham said, but Lord, my servant is the one who will inherit my estate. I have no son. And so this is why Abraham's called the father of our faith, because he believed in God who gives life to the dead. And I love this calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Let's go on in verse 18 talking of Abraham, who, contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. Verse 19, And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but he was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what God had promised, he was also able to perform. Okay, so there's a lot here. But what I love is that, you know, this didn't happen in a day. If you really study your Bible, you see that it was maybe 17 years from when God gave that first promise till the promise became flesh in the body of Isaac, his son. And so it was a process of this dream growing in Abraham. They even made mistakes along the way. But, you know, you might make mistakes along the way. I may have made mistakes along the way. But God is able, by his grace, to bring these things to pass when we will simply do our best to act and obey. So at this point, the dream seed is fully grown, and now we will act or step out upon what we believe. Now, let me say here also that sometimes the word of faith movement has gotten a bad name because people don't understand this. And they think just speaking it is enough and makes it reality. You know, we confess what God tells us. Sometimes we confess to believe. We are planting, we are creating, believing, we're watering that seed as we speak what God said, even against all odds, against all circumstances, but... What happens when we water that seed and we stand firm in what God has told us, it said in that passage in Romans 4, he was strengthened in faith as he gave praise and glory to God. And so you see, your faith will be strengthened as you speak the word of God. But that doesn't mean that just speaking it is going to make it happen. It's not a magic genie lamp. Faith is the force from heaven. It's where God speaks what he wants to us, and we, in a process of believing it, get to the point where we will actually step out on it. So I shared about my first step in agreeing was that I might be able to do the spiritual part, but I had doubts about the natural. I didn't know where I would get the money or even the wisdom to do what was required. And at this point, I remember I was in the States, and I was on a ministry trip visiting partnering churches. And God used a couple of pastors to greatly encourage me. One whom I greatly respect told me, Tony, of course you can do this. He was so encouraging because I was thinking, Lord, I can't do this. And the other pastor I visited had planted a Bible school and reminded me, Tony, you were in Manila, right? When they started that Bible school, you remember how they did it? They got a building, they made a promotional brochure. And as he talked, I'm like, oh yes, I do remember I was there, and so I began to see that I had some steps I could follow, and that brought me comfort and peace. I decided then to write the vision and make it plain and ask for financial partners for the school. I've learned that it helps people to connect when they can see the business plan, so to speak. You know, people sometimes think because we're spiritual, we don't need to do anything in the natural, (laughs) and that is so wrong. We administrate spiritual plans with natural planning and natural financial assessments. We don't just walk out blindly. We take what God's given us and we add our natural to his super, to get the supernatural. And so people will have confidence when you have a plan. And God helped us so much by connecting us with this Nepali pastor also, because the fact that we had a facility and I didn't have to look for one, that also brought confidence. So when we got to this point of no return, I said and I wrote in my newsletters, we are going to Nepal in August to start a Bible school. That was in 2010, two and a half years after my first visit. Now, the other thing I want to mention here is the deliberation we had over where in Nepal to put the school. All the pastors in Nepal had told me, we don't really need a Bible school in Kathmandu. We need it in the far west. And After having lived there uh, for the past 10 years, yes, I know it was true. And Tanzan was a just, how can I describe it? Such a medieval city almost with cobblestone streets and 20-foot wall around the city and farmland around and a view of the Himalayas, beautiful place and a gateway to the west. So part of me wanted to go to Tanzan. Then there was Pokhara a beautiful tourist area that's between Townsend and Kathmandu and a short flight from the city of Kathmandu. And our first Nepali contact, the one that came to Manila to go to Bible school was from Pokhara. So there was pressure to go there where the air was clean. And of course, I wanted clear, clean air. (laughs) But somehow after praying, it seemed right to be in the center of everything. And so we chose noisy, crowded, polluted, beautiful Kathmandu. You know, I remember later at times walking down the street, would I say street, kind of dirt street with a sidewalk that's all broken up with cracks and rocks and wires and pipes in the way and in this complete chaos and dirty hubbub and walking around in that atmosphere just feeling so at peace, just feeling like this is the best place in the world just being so content. You know, there's contentment in the will of God. And so how do you start a Bible school? (laughs) Well, we had mission experience. That was good. And we had some partners. We had lots of vision. We had curriculum and grading and attendance sheets from the school in Manila. All this was very helpful. And we had people help. Since the beginning, God had been adding people to us. We met a Nepali couple on the November trip who had just returned from a Bible school in England, and it was a school like ours. And they told us, we've been praying for a school like this in our nation. And this youth pastor worked with the pastor with the campus, so he was automatically with us. We also had this young man from Pokhara who'd come to Manila and by now graduated the Bible school there, so he was with us. I had two missionary friends who'd worked in Manila in the early days and had now been in Nepal for 20 years. That was a great comfort. And then I had my young female assistant who'd been with me for a year and another young man from our church in the States who agreed to go with us. So that was enough to get started. Now the school was to be about six hours a day, five days a week. So that's 30 hours a week of teaching. Even though I loved to teach at that time, I couldn't do it all. But the curriculum we developed with our team in Manila allowed us to activate not only the young people that came with me, but the Nepali pastors as well. I had to hope they were teaching the curriculum because I couldn't understand them, so we just had to trust. But I've talked before with you about the church being built on the foundation of apostles and prophets. Ephesians 2.20 says, Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, And while we know Paul was talking about actual Old Testament prophets and New Testament apostles, I shared some with you about the graces of these gifts even today. Now, what we were doing in Nepal was with an apostolic grace. We'd been sent out from churches with apostolic pastors, and the word apostle in the Greek literally means sent one. So we were sent ones, sent by the Holy Spirit to a specific place and people and at a specific time. Now, the prophetic grace speaks out what God sees. And I literally remember going to preach in churches those first few years. People would come up and say, I just feel so refreshed and strengthened when you come. And the way they would describe it, it was like fresh air. It was like resuscitation. And this is revival. This is the definition of revival. First, God speaks through us as the prophetic foundation laying, telling who they are, what he wants to happen in that place. And, you know, by now I've seen this happen in Manila. I've seen it happen in Nepal. I've also seen it begin to happen in Peru. So what I'm telling you is what I know. This is the way, the first step, God speaks through you what he sees. And I'm telling you this because you need to do it as well for the dream that you have in your heart. You can speak out in prayer what you see, and you can declare it into the air, and you create it in the Spirit. This is the prophetic side of pioneering. But the second part of pioneering is the apostolic, and the apostolic to me involves work, W-O-R-K. Oh boy, did we work. (laughs) We would taxi into town and come home with as much as the vehicle could hold. Notebooks, chairs, pots, pans, towels, hangers, furniture. It was never-ending. And we had these beautiful 40 students living in the dorms. And we lived in an apartment there as well. There were classrooms and offices and a kitchen. We hired an office administrator who only spoke Nepali and a cook and a student administrator. But the internet was terrible. And so we didn't even sometimes know how much money we had in our account at home or how to get it to us. But it was an adventure and we made it. Some of my highlighted memories... Climbing up the hill through the pine forest, steep dirt road, to get out of the campus and up to the road to catch the taxi. Dinners in cozy Kathmandu restaurants, and then returning to the gate to crises where students were waiting, and these usually involved demons. I'll pick up on that later in a minute. Number three, being freezing. Ice, cold, cold water, even too cold almost to splash on your face. By December, Chelsea and I looked like clowns with all the clothes we had on, and yet our girl students would show up in the morning barefoot and with wet hair. <laughs> Another thing I remember is us losing weight, and not in the good way. It was losing weight because of the things we were eating that weren't doing something in our digestive systems. So let me go back to the demons. You want to hear about demons? The very first week of school, we had a guest from the States, and this was the same pastor who had encouraged me about how to start a Bible school. By the way, he got bed bugs on that trip at the hotel. Great way to treat your first guest. But the last day of the first week, I left early to get him to the airport, and the minute we left, one of the students started jumping around the classroom like a frog. When I arrived back, the team told me what had happened, and I thought, what? We have a demon-possessed student. Who is this guy? We found out he was an associate pastor from the far west. What? I didn't really know what to do, but I remembered the scripture where you asked them to say, Jesus is Lord. So I did that, and he said it. He said, Jesus is Lord. So, hmm, now what? Later, we realized, because this happened repeatedly, that they actually were saved but that the demons were from their past life. In fact, this particular associate pastor used to be a witch doctor. And because our students didn't know that they had authority over serpents and scorpions and all the power of the enemy, they just yielded to these spirits over and over again. One of the night crises involved a boy in the dorm who was terrified because Satan kept telling him he was going to kill him. And Derek... The young guy from our church spent so much time in there reading with him from Believer's Authority, praying with him, teaching him. He would get peace and lie down for a while, only to jump up screaming again and saying, he said it again. So we found out that as we taught the authority of the believer, these antics stopped. Praise God. It's an important message for the church. We worked nonstop for four months. We had a few team issues, but we ended up with a glorious graduation. The part that caught us off guard was when our dear students with their sacks, knapsacks over their shoulders, said goodbye and walked off down the road. We didn't know if we'd ever see them again. I mean, they lived out in the, the provinces. They Some of them didn't even have cell phones. My overwhelming thought at that time was I can't believe that I had to deliberate two and a half years about saying yes to this. Because at the time, seeing what God did, it just seemed like a no-brainer. What a tremendous impact. What a faithful God. And this was only the beginning, my friends. So you'll have to stay tuned for more next week. But let's talk about takeaways from this episode, this message. As we pray, number one, God shows us steps to take. And as we take the steps, we move forward. Number two, while we know his will is good, we still have to lay down our own plans and dreams and ideas and take up his. And that's called consecration, and it's not always easy. But number three, God will put people in your life to help you, to run with you, to encourage you. Number four, prayer prepares the way and removes the obstacles and makes the path and the timing clear. And lastly, God has more planned for you than you could ever think, hope, or imagine. I believe that, my friends. I am so sure of that. God is no respecter of persons, and the things he's done in my life adventure, he's going to do the same for you. So let me pray for you. Father, as I share these stories, my heart just swells with love for you and joy and thanksgiving. For all the things you've allowed me to do, even though I did them with fear and trembling sometimes, and I was kind of like the mule that you had to keep pulling, and I was stiffening my neck. But God, you never gave up on me, and you continued to counsel me and to comfort me and to lead us forward. Lord, thank you for the adventures. Thank you for making me a risk taker when I'm not a risk taker. And I pray for all my friends, Lord God. Oh, some of them want to jump at the first word you say, and others might be like me, and they're hesitant and they're timid. Lord, wherever we are, you are right there with us. And you are such a mighty God and such a loving God. You have such good plans for us. So I pray for everyone listening to this podcast, Lord, that you will continue to give them those dream seeds, those words, and open their ears to hear the words from you. And show them, Lord, the steps they need to take as they spend time in your presence. Give them the courage and the faith to act upon the things you tell them. And we expect, Lord, great glory in our own lives, in our families, in our churches, and in the ministries and the calls that you have for us, that we fill the place where we are with your glory and your goodness. Thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Be sure to share this episode with someone if it blessed you. And next week, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about the church of Nepal and the things that God has done through the centuries to prepare for that time that he sent us. Hallelujah. I'll talk to you then. Thanks for listening today. I pray you were blessed and encouraged. One of my life scriptures is Hebrews 11.1 in the Jordan translation. It says, Now faith is the turning of dreams into deeds. It is betting your life on unseen realities. In Jesus Christ, you have what it takes to step into all God has prepared for you. If this episode's blessed you, please share it with someone else. I look forward to meeting with you again next week.